Judy Miller keeps coming up a loser in life. I'm left with one thing, wishing. But now she's finally got a chance to win big. It's time to play! You got it! Only she's caught in a wheel of misfortune. Who are the people that are making your life a living hell? It's double jeopardy. Guess who's behind door number one? Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Nightmares. Your nightmares won't just be on Elm Street. They'll be on Channel 9. Welcome back to another episode of Burning for Springwood, Freddy's Nightmares Retrospective. I am one of your hosts, Gary Hill, and with me as usual is Suzanne. Greetings! It's almost spring, right? Almost. It's kind of chilly outside, you know. It's, uh... yeah, it snowed yesterday. It did, it did snow, yes. It's stuck by my house, that's okay though. No, it's stuck here for a while, and then it just kind of went away. Here it's not snowing in, in sunny California, where these two gents are from. Mike Merriman's here. How you doing, sir? Doing well. It's it's definitely springtime here. We the the overnight temperatures might dip down to get a little chilly, but during the day it's pretty good and sunny. So um, I am pleased with the weather right now. Cool, cool. And our special guest, who people t- duty says I'm on like 14 podcasts. This guy does lots of podcasts. <laughs> Mr. Venom is here. How you doing, sir? Greetings and salutations, listeners and <laughs> co-hosts. How is everyone doing tonight? Or today, actually. I'm sorry. It's okay. I just got up. <laughs> oh, we're fine, man. Doing great. Yeah, it's uh, like Mike was saying, it's warm out here in California. It's it's about 85 today in L.A., and somehow I'm still cold. Mm. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> oh, man. You're For those who don't know... I live. I used to live in Phoenix, so I got used to ridiculous heat. You know, so you know, you know, warm me up. Some of these tasty Freddy's Nightmares episodes that we're going to discuss today. You know, it's a getting real hot. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but Mike told me you were a glutton for punishment for for these anthology series. So I said, you know what? Let, let's have him on. It'd be awesome. Well, yeah. I'm I'm a really big fan of most of the '80s and '90s anthology like horror TV series. You know, Tales from the Crypt, Tales from the Dark Side. The list goes on and on. I was always a big fan of even even like Monsters, which was kind of like. A, one of the lesser of those shows. I, I was still a big fan of it. And uh, even though I'm not as familiar with Freddy's Nightmares, I'm still, you know, always open to watch some uh, good 80s and 90s horror television. I, I can't keep thinking of my brain that we'll do like Alfred Hitchcock Presents when this is all over, but who wants to do a show with class? Not, not this guy, you know. You, you really put it too much fun. No, what, you need, what we need to do is Hammer's House of Horrors. Ooh, there you go. There you mm-hmm. go, Suzanne. Land their British shit on me again, you know. Oh, you, oh, come on. You know me and my foreign horror, even if you could. You really do we consider British to be foreign horror? There's no titties yeah. in there, though. It's not Twins of Evil, Suzanne. It's, it's, it's... Oh, God damn it. <laughs> but yeah, I'd love to do, if anybody's down, we should do Hammer's House of Horrors. Seriously, though, Twins of Evil? 
It's on Amazon Prime right now. The bosoms on those girls. Woof. Man. That's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm only a man, Susan. I'm only a man. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. I can't give you I, I can't give you crap for your urges. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well then you'd be the first woman to say that. <laughs> Well, no, I'm 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 pretty forgiving. Well, Mr. Venom, that's the advantage of uh, recording with women who have bigger balls than I do. You know, metaphorically speaking, of course. You know, <laughs> hey, metaphorically or literally, it's it's always a good deal. Um, it might be a little weird, literally, but still, whatever. Iris might have one peeking out, man. You know, she she was a Navy brat, so she she might fuck us up or something. But uh, uh, uh yeah. <laughs> fair enough. I'm gonna leave that one alone and get to the task at hand. Being episodes five and six of the very first season of Freddy's Nightmares. First one being episode five, entitled Judy Miller, Come On Down. Just like uh, Bob Barker said, this one uh, premiered on November 5th, 1988. It is uh, directed by one Tom D. Simone, who some of you may know from Reform School Girls and Savage Streets. If you look back in his career, some really fucking weird films that I probably will never watch. I don't know. It's a lot. Of, I don't even know what it is. But uh, <laughs> the cheapo plot synopsis on the Wikipedia is Judy Miller wins big money on a game show, which solves life's little nightmares while creating newer, more tragic nightmares. I'm going to read the last part because it's fucking stupid as shit. I'll start. I'll read it, Jess. Okay. Come on, just the read it. The episode features Susan Oliver as the maid and Judy Miller's <laughs> former f- future self, which that comes into play. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> Mr. Venom. Guest of this show, I'm going to ask you what you think first of Judy Miller, Come On Down. Well, <clears throat> I've in, in preparation for this, I, I went back and watched uh, the first couple of episodes of the series just to kind of refresh, um, to get a kind of a feel of what was going on before I actually watched the episodes uh, for today's show. Because um, <laughs> I'm a glutton for punishment. <laughs> anyway, um, I actually kind of like the f- – and and – I hate to say this, but this series of the four episodes that I've watched so far, this series has to have or excuse me, has this trend of the first half of the episode being so much better than the second half. And again, this this episode, Judy Miller, come on down is a perfect example. I was really on board for the first half of the episode where it was all about the game show and, you know, the game shows changing and everything getting really dark and creepy. I thought that was awesome. Um Without getting into too many plot points, then once she actually wins her prize, the rest of the episode turns, I don't know, it almost turns into a soap opera. And um, I'm not going to say I hated it. It's not like I dreaded watching it. But during that whole second half, I'm just like, oh, I wish this was as good as the first half because I was just really on board with all that cool um, you know, game show stuff going on and, you know, Freddy's twists on all of it. Uh, overall, decent episode, not anything that I would write home about, but I will say, I like I said, I genuinely love that first half. I thought it was really cool. All right, Mike. Uh, I, yeah, I pretty much got to echo what Venom said. I, I thought the game show was really neat, how it was just dark and very... Um, almost dream slash nightmare like in itself because just as a viewer it was kind of uh, bewildering to keep up with all the changing scenes and the messed up stuff going on in the game show and uh, I thought that was really strong and I, if that would have been like the whole episode 
it, it would have been, I think, very strong if it would have been like, you know, a half hour. The problem is they got to the point where she wins the money and then we get the second half of the episode with the future Judy Miller warning. And from there, I mean, not only is it kind of just predictable what's going to happen, it's just not very interesting and you're just waiting for the inevitable to happen. So, um, yeah, it's a, and I think it was, there's been another episode that we covered that was kind of like this, but it feels like a tale of two episodes and, uh, I hate to jump ahead, but I think we might be repeating that sentiment with the next one, but, uh, I'll save that. Yeah, I'll save that for a little bit from now, but yeah, some very strong first half, um, not so strong second half. So uh, that's kind of where I stand as well. Susan. You know, this is just one of those, you know, we, this has been a thread throughout, I think every episode we've done, it's the, it's two acts. One is good. One is not. <laughs> and this one also suffers from that. But I mean, the shining point for me, I mean, I have to admit, I kind of liked the maid her coming back to try to warn her, that was, I, I found that to be kind of fulfilling. The rest of it was kind of contrived and the whole episode was deaf, you know, it was very telegraphed. You knew exactly what was going to happen. Mm-hmm. I mean, the freak show game show was a lot of fun. I mean, when I saw him on the pendulum with the pendulum swinging, I was like, this is kind of awesome. And this <laughs> is a first time watch for me. I haven't seen this episode before. I haven't seen the next episode either. This might have been, because when I was watching it for real, it was it bounced around from time to time and channel to channel. And uh, there was one episode I think I saw seven times. Mm. And this one, like I, I just, I, I, I'm, I'm so middle of the road with this one because the first half is campy and fun, and you know the the game show. Is it's dark, it's funny, and I, but I do like the maid in the second act. I like the way that kind of played out, but the whole thing was completely telegraphed. You knew exactly, I mean, exactly how this whole thing was going to play out. Yeah, she's going to win a million bucks, she's going to get what she wanted. Beware what you wish for, you may get it. Mm-hmm. So it's middle of the road for me. Cool, Suzanne gave me a rating away early, and that's fine, but um, I'm uh. Mm-hmm. I'm right here. Yeah, much like they said in the next episode too. Spoilers, like they said it. Uh, the, the the first half is stronger than the second half. Kind of, I, I don't know. No, not with me. It's they're kind of equal actually because they're all stuff that you, not not necessarily seen before, but you've seen this a couple of years earlier. And if you've seen Death Row Game Show, it's a wacky, a wack, much wackier version of this game show. It's really stupid and contrived, but the host does really fine, and uh, that's that's always fun. Um, I always love shitty in-laws and things, and these were some really <laughs> shitty in-laws. And just I, like, I do. I'm sorry. I was gonna say I do like how Freddie he's starting to pop up like in episodes, not disrupting the story, but like he's he's not just appearing like in between commercial breaks as a boiler room, but like in this one when he shows up under the bed as the camera pans when he's like, "Careful what you wish for, you might oh, just get dis- it." Like, yeah, the disembodied head in the oven. <laughs> yeah, he's he's surling it up for us, people. You know, um, yeah. Th- this is this is a new ground, though. The whole idea of 
my future self or somebody from my, my future is coming to divorce me that bad things are going to happen. This is more more play more play on the soap opera because she's technically a board housewife who has nothing to do but care for her in-laws and care for her out-of-work husband who happens to be going to school, so her whole life is on hold. So she's looking for this outlet, and she, she finds it with this game show that may or may not be real. See, that's the whole deal with these, like, these, both these episodes. Is, is it real? Is it not real? Is it a part of her dream? I guess that's the point of Freddy's Nightmares. I don't know. I don't really care either. It's just, you know... <laughs> this, this is uh, taken from... Probably the, the, these guys have read the, those tales from the Crypt comics, and, you know, a woman scorned, and the, what happens at the end of this episode happens, and, then, you know, it, it's, 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 it's fine for what it is, but it's not great, but this is one of those episodes, I think, that fits together both halves. Not well, but they do go together, so there's another episode yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. Next one... Yeah, not so much. We'll talk about that though. <laughs> I felt like this this episode felt odd because I it was really hard for me to draw the line between reality and the dream world. It almost felt like the entire episode could have been a dream mm-hmm. because there was always kind of wacky over the top stuff kind of happening even in the real subdued scenes. And then I had a major question, whatever happened to Tom's wish? Like she, uh, the wife wins the million dollars and then he makes the statement of, I wish you never existed. And then Freddie shows up like the wall breaks open and Freddie shows up and then it goes to commercial and that's it. They never go back to that story. So uh, that's it, a running theme throughout the series. OK, if that's the case, then uh, I'll have to I'll have to accept it. But yeah. That was weird. That because literally for the second half of the episode, I'm like, I'm waiting for Freddie to show up to kill the woman because of what Tom wanted, and he never does. So that was that was really odd. A little yeah, disjointed. That, like I said, this is the theme, and I mean, there's a lot of talent involved in this, but it just it it just does not seem to shine. And I think that going to 44 minutes. I think it's pushing it a little too hard. And this one, for some reason, this episode reminded me of an episode of Tales from the Dark Side. And I almost went and dug through all of my Tales from the Dark Sides to try to find what episode it was. I but think I know the one you're talking about. It, but but in that episode, the woman gets a phone call, right? From her future yeah. self? Yeah, I know yes. the episode you're talking about. Yep. I think it was a Tales from the Crypt or Dark Side, one of those. But yeah. Uh, it was I, definitely a Dark Side. I And okay. I... I I, I really am like if I pull this out that I'm going to end up spending like 20 minutes discussing the parallels between the two and <laughs> nobody wants that. <laughs> no, no. Especially when Darkseid kind of did it a little bit better. <laughs> I, I yeah, they this, did. I think this could have been better with a little more peril in the end. Basically, she, she, he, she finds the plot, the two plot lines that everything her feature says is correct. She mm-hmm. finds the number for this woman He's made this bank account with not her name on it, just his name on it, so he's going to steal all of her, her loot within to run away with this woman. But it just ends with her holding a knife over her husband and then his credits. Now, get a little more peril to where the husband, you know, because the whole time he's like, you're spending too much money and yada, 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 yada. He's basically getting bored with her, her whimsy because he's, yeah, she she's being foolish with what she has. And yeah. apparently a million dollars could buy a lot of people. You know, just what's funny is that a million dollars isn't uh, even in the 80s wasn't that much money. I mean, once you take the taxes out, it, you probably end up cutting it almost in half. And it's like, 
you're not gonna you're not and, and they're both young i mean they look like they're in their 30s so it's like uh, that money's not gonna last you your whole life if you spend it like that the yes. whole time i'm like wow you guys need an accountant <laughs> <laughs> don't you hate it when your real world literal you know being literal about the real world spoils everything because i am that way too because i would have been like a million bucks huh i have to ha tie this up in this and this and it might last 10 years i definitely buy some real estate exactly. i wouldn't buy a talking microwave <laughs> exactly mike knows that i'm a little bit over logical for my own good at times when, oh, when i am too Oh, yeah. When a movie and TV show is so good that you can overlook it, then cool. I can overlook it and I can accept it for what it is. But when the episode itself is kind of subpar and then you throw in something like that, then it's like uh, or, or, you know, and then I have a logic problem with it as well. Yeah, that, that it just takes away all the enjoyment of watching the episode. Like I said, for me, it was just waiting for Freddie to, you know, um, take care of Tom's wish and it never happened. So I felt kind of unsatisfied on top of the fact that I hate this ending. I mean, Gary already described it. I did not. Yeah. Like this, ending. this was a terrible way to end that episode. Just it just it leaves you on a cliffhanger. And it's like this show. Can't yeah. Have a cliffhanger. No, the show. But th that's like I said, this is one of the running three themes throughout the show. You get a snippet of something and it's completely dropped and dead after that. It's never brought back up. That's it's frustrating. See, guys, we spoil them so you never have to watch them. See what we're doing here? <laughs> yep, exactly. And then if it if we if our warnings still don't heed you, then you're watching at your own risk, or you just like to uh, punish yourself. And there's nothing we can do about that. Uh, hey, hey, listen, I'm a, I'm. I'm a Friday the 13th apologist, and I'm one of the six people that probably actually liked Friday the 13th, the series, as bad as that show there. was. I mean, I, I, I remember being the only person I knew of all my horror friends that actually liked it. Like, they were all mad that Jason has nothing to do with it, blah, 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 blah. But for me, I actually enjoyed it. I liked it because it had nothing to do with the, the film franchise, other than <laughs> sharing a title. Yeah, that was a great series. I mean, yeah, you know, I liked it too. I, yeah, I, I love the whole artifact thing. I like the stories that went went along with the artifacts. Yes, that always absolutely. kept me in. I the storytelling was intriguing. Some yeah, the writing was a lot more. The, the writing was a lot more solid. Uh, the yeah. obviously the performances, and then you know you get to actually see the same you know three or four people every week, so you kind of start developing almost like a relationship with your quote unquote TV friends, and it makes you enjoy the series a little bit more. Whereas this one, the only thing connecting them from episode to episode is Freddy. So you have to be a huge Freddy fan to really get into the series. And unfortunately, I was I'm not as big a Freddy fan as some. I'm I'm definitely more a, a Jason or a Michael. I'm I'm into my silent but deadly killers, you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, this one it's it really has nothing to do with Freddy. He's basically your show host, except he does he pops up and he's a a theme in a few episodes, but for the most part, he's basically your host through mm -hmm. a bunch of shitty writing. And he's shitty a, acting. Yeah. He's a uh, third degree burned Elvira. It, it, <laughs> it, it would have been better if, if you know, the, 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 the wish thing came through and she did like the whole, I wish my husband wasn't here. Mm -hmm. And then Freddie shows up to do his thing to, to dispatch him properly. But 
again, the, the, the budget probably wasn't there. We, we, we discussed this on the last episode, I think, about they might have had him for about two days to film his vignettes, and then he had to walk away. So he wasn't <laughs> doing anything too labor-extensive on these episodes, except for the ones that he was in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I definitely feel out of all the anthology series in this era, kind of like the late 80s, maybe bleeding a little bit into the early 90s, Freddy's Nightmares, they really try to go for that EC Comics feel, but maybe it's just the quality of writers they got or just, you know, difficulty with budget that when you see something like Tales from the Crypt that comes like a couple years later, it's just like, holy shit, there's a huge difference in quality here. <laughs> um, <laughs> but, you know, part of the fun of doing these, it's it, you, you go into it knowing that a lot of the episodes – are not going to be great, but it's kind of fun to try to find those gems within the series. And then you end up almost twice as happy when you get the good ones. Cause you're like, Holy shit, there are some that are salvageable. <laughs> and as I found out last week, what the, one of the show, one of the episodes we did was the one that I ended up watching. It kept popping on every time I would turn the damn show on. And, mm -hmm. you know, watching it, I was, I, I started rolling my eyes and I'm like, I just don't want to see this again. But I'm like, you know what? I'm going to sit down. I'm going to shut the hell up and just try to watch the episode. And I was surprised at how much I liked it that time. Mm -hmm. All right, this is the point I kick it. I kick it back to Mr. Venom and ask him, does he have anything else he'd like to say about the episode? And what does he rated rating system is as follows? In case you guys have forgotten, if you like it, it's a fuck the prime time, bitch. If it's middle of the road, you keep it in the boiler. And if you you don't like it at all, it's the flaming piss resurrection. <laughs> what do you think, sir? Um, I don't know. I I really wish I would have liked this one a lot more. I was I was on board with the story for the first part, but then, um, even even Judy, who was played by uh, what's her name, Siobhan uh, McCafferty. Oh, she's very Irish. Wow. Yes. Uh, <laughs> that's a compliment. That's a, she's that's very Irish. Irish. <laughs> wow. That's as Irish a name as it's going to get. But um, it, it's funny because I even like she was a terrible liar. Like in, in any scene where her husband would call her on something and she would be like, uh, no, no, you know, trying to lie or play dumb. She had this look of absolute guilt on her. I'm like, wow, you are just the worst possible liar. Now, I don't know if that's the actress um, just not acting very well, or if it's the actress portraying Judy Miller as a bad liar. So I don't know. It, this actress could be brilliant, or, she, or she could be awful. I wow. wish I knew what the intention was, but <laughs> I, I can't. So um, yeah, uh, I'm gonna rate this middle of the road, uh, which is what that was. Uh, keep it in the boiler room. Yes, sir. There it is. Uh, Mike. Yeah, that's gonna be my rating as well. Uh, if if the second half of the episode could have kept up with what we got in the first episode, it would have been rated higher. But uh, that second half dragged it down. And unfortunately, because sometimes when you have a, a tale of two halves, if the second half is the superior half, then by default, you end up ranking it higher. But the problem is when the second half is the bad half, it leaves you, you know, with a worse taste in your mouth. So, um, yeah, we're going to go keep it in the boiler room for this one. That also doesn't really build up goodwill with the audience when the second half is weaker because th that's what they're left with. And then they have to decide, am I going to come back next week and watch the next episode? 
-hmm. You know, it seems like they would have been way more advantageous to make the second half stronger, leaving the audience with a desire to watch another episode or two or three. (laughs) In our case, yes, that's 100% true. We're going to keep going on this. I just can't stop laughing at that. Soon they had no intention of anybody wanting to come back and watch it. <laughs> they were selling this on Robert Englund and Freddie is a persona. It was the whole thing. <laughs> yeah. It was like, hey, everyone loves Freddie. Here's a TV show with Freddie. <laughs> it's really bad and it's really long and you're going to hate it, but you love Freddie. So you're going to come back and watch it just on name alone. It's like Tide versus whatever the store brand is. Nice. Um, Do we remember what network this aired on originally? Oh, my God. It bounced. It was for me. It was on. Oh, my God. It was a channel. It was like back when TNT was the or TNN was was the Nashville network. Okay, that's where I saw it, too. And then it was TNT. And I mean, it bounced around. It was I remember everyone was excited when we got like. WGN because WGN used to show this. This is when I was still living in New York at home. Mm. But it bounced. I mean, this was like the birth of syndication. So you had three networks that bought it, and you just never knew which channel it was actually going to be on. And it's not like now when you can go hit the internet, look up a channel and see when something is going to be on, even though the paper would say, or the TV guide would say it was going to be on this certain channel at this certain time, there was a good chance that was not going to happen. This one, it's still for me, it is keep it in the boiler room. It's middle of the road. The only saving grace of the second act is I kind of liked her future self coming back to try to warn her. Mm -hmm. That was yeah. the only thing I appreciated about the second half. The rest of it was just, I, I kept waiting for her husband's maybe redemption, not, maybe not redemption, but I, I think the second half was going to be more involved with him. Mm-hmm. Her her future maid self reminded me of the old version of Alice in Nightmare 4. Yes, yes. When, yes. Oh my God, it did. <laughs> <laughs> that when I saw her, I was like, "Holy shit, that looks like uh-huh. Alice." <laughs> I was thinking, I was thinking of the maid in the first season of American Horror Story. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. She was young and old. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, I can. Oh yeah, I can see that now. Sorry. Yeah, she wasn't as prophetic necessarily, but you know, just just the fact that it was an older housemaid it just reminded me of her. <laughs> I, I want to go back to something Mr. Venom said because uh, this this really institutes the spirit of the whole series, is that maybe this was all a dream because it was it was a little too whimsical to be real life. Yeah, just, yeah, very little of it felt real. Just the fact know? that you know, oh, the parents got killed, the, the in laws got killed on the game show, and they, all of a sudden they go to the retirement community. So she's got money for all these new appliances, these <laughs> new clothes, this retirement community. Remember with a million dollars and everything just seems so like perfect. But then all of a sudden, it, it turns into her nightmare in the second half. So I, I think with all that, I think all that's true. I, I'd have to like hit up the writer or something and see if that was his intention. Uh, this guy wrote a major a bulk of the series. This uh, where the hell is this guy? Is uh, Deluca? Yeah, Michael D. Deluca wrote a bulk mm-hmm. of the series. 
uh, maybe I'll, I'll seek him out and ask him some a lot of Freddy's Nightmares questions. But, uh, <laughs> the, the well, bird, after the that question. shitty writing, he's got to be like hurting for something to do right now. I don't know. He, he <laughs> so could have had a long career. I have show, make sure I'm busy because I'm gonna I'm gonna grill him. Could have had a long career that I know nothing about, Suzanne. But yeah, that 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 um, I think without that, yeah, now that, now that you say it, you know, it, it, it teeters in between before but in between you know the the flame pits resurrection and uh keeping in the boiler for me but that kicked it over to the keeping in the boiler thing just thinking that it's um it it it, it works the best out of any episode that I, that I've seen and Suzanne I don't know I know we're overanalyzing this and everything that this is all her dream that turns into the nightmare that gets into the the, the meat the spirit of the, of the what the series should be but doesn't necessarily stay on that that road so it's a keep it in the boiler for me as well. Yeah, that's crazy because this guy, uh, DeLuca, actually wrote one of my favorite John Carpenter movies. He wrote In the Mouth of Madness. Oh. Which, Are uh, you kidding me? No, he he is the single writer. Yeah, you, no. he just Are verbally you? upset Suzanne. <laughs> no, it upset myself when I read it. I know. I'm, I'm very, very disconcerted now because that is my third favorite John Carpenter movie because yeah. it's the guy obviously has a thing for Lovecraft because that's Lovecraft all is. that because in the mouth of madness is all Lovecraft. Yes, absolutely. Well, he, he kind of fell back down to earth the following year because then he wrote judge dread. <laughs> I, I, I like that movie. You know, come on I, I liked it until the good one came out, and now I can't look back at the Stallone one I now. I, I like I like both of them, but for different reasons. If I want some camp, I'll go watch that Stallone one. You know, if no. I want something real, I'll watch oh, the other God. one. <laughs> it's Dread down there, man. It's Dread. And then, then uh, what's it called? Um, damn, what's Ajax's real name? I've met him before, too. Um, Ajax from the Warriors. Oh, uh, James Remar. James Remar goes, want to be afraid of somebody? Be afraid of me. You know, I love that line so much, you know. He seems seems so intense, you know. Yeah. All, all, all he needs are those green undies from from, from cruising. He'd be all set to go, see. It's, uh, oh, shit. Those, those <laughs> oh, man. But speaking of stuff that's not written by that guy, we're going to go to our next episode, which is entitled Saturday Night Special. Gordon's a washout with women. The girls you want don't want you. So he's out to find his dream date. So you're looking for an attractive young woman to share your life. And he gets her. It's nice to meet you, Mary. Now, Gordon's in heaven. Can't say no to me, Gordy. Or is he in hell? Love Freddy's Dive. The first cut's always the deepest. On the next Nightmare on Elm Street, Freddy's Nightmares. Which aired November 12th, 1988, and directed by Lisa Gottlieb, who is responsible for showing me my first and probably one of the best pairs of tits I've ever seen in my life, and just one of the guys. Uh, her star from that movie is in this movie, Joyce Heiser, in this episode, her, this movie, uh, this episode, Joyce Heiser in the second half. Uh, uh, your cheap plot synopsis, and this is really stupid, Wikipedia. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say the first thing first. Uh, two nobodies yearn for perfection. Gordon fantasizes a dream date with a sex goddess, Lana. And that is some weak sauce shit. Because, you know, <laughs> yeah, Gordon is a guy who goes, this again, in two parts, but it has a connection with one 
are two shitty characters in, in a really stupid way, but um, essentially yeah. Gordon is a guy who's, uh, who's, who's unlucky with love, goes to a video dating service, and finds a blonde who kills him with a Zamboni and other zany-ass <laughs> shit until he gets killed in the middle part of this episode. And then the second half is that blonde and her 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 mousy friend and their antics. But I'm going to kick it to Mike first and ask what we thought about Saturday Night Special. All right. So, as we've said many times before, I mean, we're only now six episodes in, so people are probably tired of hearing us say a tale of t- or an episode, a tale of two halves or two stories. But to some other episodes' credits, at least the. Uh, second half of the episode somewhat transitions well into like the next story. Yeah, exactly. Like even though, uh, the, what was it? Come on down Judy or what was it? Judy Miller. Judy Miller. Come on down. Even though the second half was to me easily weaker, at least it transitioned to it. Well, this episode on the other hand, it, it felt to me like a complete episode after we get like the the goofy ass hockey game or the hockey session where <laughs> Jason Voorhees' sister makes an appearance, I guess, um, and you know that whole sequence was goofball. But when the guy dies, it's like no, I mean, it almost feels like it was more than half of the episode. And I don't know because I didn't I didn't timestamp when exactly that part happened, but it felt like that was almost like uh, three-fourths of an episode as opposed to half. And then you have, like, the the uh, the girl getting the makeover and all that stuff. It felt like that was stuffed into, like, the last 10, 15 minutes of the episode. And I was like, what the hell? Like, how are you going to start, like, a brand-new brand uh, story almost uh, with this late into the episode? But they did it. Mm-hmm. And... Ah, yeah, second half. I mean, so, yeah, I mean, the first half, you know, we have, like, the the two kind of creepy guys leering at the ice skating or figure skating practice where there's a total of, like, six people there. So it's like, <laughs> like you're like, dude, you're not blending in with the crowd because there's no crowd. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, of course, you know, part of that's my budget. that They don't have a budget to have, like, an arena full of people. But still... It's like you guys are gonna kind of being obvious about your creepiness yeah. here, um, but yeah, I, I mean the first half is is what it is. I actually, as cheesy as that hockey session thing was, and the Zamboni and all that stuff, I was like, all right. I mean, it, it is what it is. It's kind of funny in a way, <laughs> but then after that, we go back to a character that was you know introduced early earlier in the episode that they just kind of forgot about for a long time. And then it's like, Oh yeah, now we're shifting to her. And I'm like, what? I want like, I want to contact the writer of this episode and be like, how the hell do you write <laughs> like this? It, it's just weird to me, but yeah, a very mixed bag of an episode. Um, yeah, I, I'm kind of interested to see what everyone else has to say about it, but it's just another case of, like almost trying to stuff two different plot or two different stories into one episode. Okay. Suzanne. Oh God. Yes. Uh, Mike nailed it when he said mixed bag. I, I really do not like this episode at all. It's 
It makes no sense whatsoever. It really does, and I'm sorry. Um, you've got, like I said, you, you, the, the creepy guys, and he's like, oh, no, that's the one I want. Nah, she's just a little too mousy for me. And I'm like, dude, you look like you crawled out of your mom's basement. <laughs> and the whole video dating thing. Oh, Jesus Christ. At the point in time this came out, does anybody remember the 976 numbers? Especially oh, yeah. after 11 o'clock? That whole thing with the video dating thing reminded me of a bad 976 number. <laughs> <laughs> You know he's he's a he's a wimpy little dude who wants perfection and decides to just be kind of a dick about it. And he goes to this like crazy little video dating service that completely change him and transform him into what he really wants to be, even though he's not. And honestly, seeing her wang slap shots into his nuts that was a little <laughs> fulfilling for me. <laughs> But uh, it's just the first half is I, I really it's bad. It's not good. The second half actually has a little bit, you know, more meat to it. And it's 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 a little bit surprising because the, the parallel between the two is this guy wants the ice queen. And the second half of the episode is basically the tale of beauty is only skin deep. You know, and the, the the thing that they kept saying, and this was so very 80s at the time, is, you know, beauty is as beauty does. There is, at that point in time, there was just a very specific way everyone was supposed to look and everyone was supposed to dress and everyone was supposed to act. They did an okay job on that a little bit, but they never really told me a full story. Mm-hmm. There's too many holes. I mean, what? Pretty girl, dumpy roommate, all of a sudden you go and get transformed. And then you look at somebody and you see all these scars on their face. You look in the mirror, you see what you actually look like. So, I mean, they kind of, they, they mixed up their, they, they just mixed it up and it was kind of bad. I mean, the, there's a few shreds of a decent idea here and absolutely zero follow through on either good idea. Mm-hmm. I am disgusted with this episode. Absolutely disgusted. I'm just going to leave it there for right now. <laughs> Mr. Venom, how do you feel about it, man? Well, I don't feel nearly as strongly as Suzanne feels about it. I, I also, though will echo most of what she and Mike said. Uh, It's not a very strong episode. I mean, it's weird. I mean, the episode starts out with five minutes of championship figure skating and which doesn't make sense because the episode opens on a hockey game and then out of nowhere, the hockey game ends and suddenly it's like free skate. People are just skating on the ice. So I don't, I, you know, I'm not sure what the hell those guys are doing there other than ogling ice skaters. But, um, (laughs) Yeah, that was that was a really weird transition. Um, it's it, man, I don't know what it is about 
guys that um, what's the term I'm looking for where, where they're looking at a woman who's like a perfect 10 and they're like a five and they somehow are just obsessed with her. It's like it doesn't make any sense. You have no chance with her. You, you could be the nicest guy in the world, but ultimately physical attraction matters. I mean, that's what attracts us to our, you know, significant others the first time. You know, you can't you can't tell what kind of personality someone has by looking at them. So obviously there has to be physical attraction there. And obviously he is not a physically attractive gentleman. Neither one of those two geeks are. So ultimately and then what bothered me about that scene on top of that is that the girl, the second girl that was figure skating, the one that supposedly was showing interest in Gordy, she was even too good looking for him. It's like, mm-hmm. I almost feel like Gordy was the writer of this episode because he wrote himself in as uh, a guy that moderately attractive women would actually want to be with, which no, not like no. Not, not, and I'm not even talking about his look so much as just his his confidence, his personality. He doesn't carry himself well, blah, 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 blah. I can go over and over with yeah, all but that. Yeah, that was another thing. Sorry, I didn't mean, I'm not meaning to. Go ahead. Hate, but no, it was his smarmy attitude about it yes. as well. Yeah, yeah. His, um, his kind of uh, attitude towards dating and women in general was definitely a little misguided. It was very 80s. I'll give him that. I mean, he obviously... He, he he's not a rich man, but, you know, if he's an insurance at all, then, you know, he does have a future if he sticks with it and actually does well. But ultimately, yeah, in, insurance salesman is not the most attractive career choice if you're trying to get, <laughs> you know, prom queens to go out with you. So unfortunately, yeah. And then the episode just devolves from there. It goes to that weird rendezvous dating service, which made absolutely no sense to me. This is another episode that almost feels like most of it is happening in Freddy's world because the entire scene at rendezvous dating made no sense. It's like, you're making this video. That's a hundred percent lies. It's like, how how like are you going to meet women and then be like, oh, uh, you know, and, and he tries to do it. He tries to play off the oh, my Porsche is in the shop, blah, blah, blah. But it's like, really, even if you owned a Porsche and you took it to the shop, they wouldn't give you a 78 Gremlin as a loan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just wondering what what's the end game here? What what is his intention in lying in this video and, and allowing the guy from Rendezvous Dating to, to convince him to lie. It's like, it's pointless. Once she meets you, that's it. The only way that that could work is if you have a, a sparkling personality. You have a personality where women fall in love with in love with you within five minutes of speaking to you. Then maybe she can get over all the lies from the video. But otherwise, it just made no sense. And then the scene ends up ends off with the Rendezvous Dating guy going, perfect. And I'm like, what? What the fuck was perfect about that? There's nothing the f- perfect about that video. You mean it's the a- C the C grade Fabio? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was he was definitely best friends with the plastic surgeon from the second half, but we'll oh, get to God. God, the two <laughs> swarmiest guys I've ever met. <laughs> he was so narcissistic, thinking that he was like this god's gift, and no one could see it. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, Listen to the way that you're talking about these women. Listen to the way you're talking to your friend and talking down. It was a complete narcissistic personality. Mm-hmm. Both of them. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Made made little sense. That's what I mean, that this kind of this whole thing comes off as like like a giant Freddy nightmare. Uh, no pun intended. 
Um, Cause then, you know, they go on the date and nothing on the date makes sense. And, you know, I even wrote down in my notes, Oh, cool. This package comes with hallucinations. Cause every, <laughs> at every turn, our poor uh, protagonist is hallucinating. He's hallucinating a woman getting impaled by swords. He's hallucinating a woman not busting her eye open with a wine, a champagne cork. It's like, he's hallucinating every couple of minutes. So it's like, yeah, we're definitely not in the waking world at this point, right? I mean, that's that's what I'm going for, or that's what I'm thinking. And <laughs> and then when Lana takes off her dress at the ice skating rink, instantly I'm like, ah, Lana is 80s attractive. <laughs> God damn those 80s panties, man. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, she's a, she's 100% 80s style. The hair, oh. the, yeah, the, the like skinny skinny frame yeah <laughs> yeah i mean she was definitely she you know she she looked like someone's mom which she probably is you know nothing against that <laughs> i'm just saying you know eighty. it's so funny the, the women that we found attractive in the 80s and to look back at them it's like uh yeah i, I guess i had some really good drugs in the 80s but you know whatever um I, I don't know. The death by Zamboni, that one always gets me because I because I, I, people don't understand that you can't actually die by Zamboni. <laughs> a Zamboni. Now, all it's going to do is going to push you. Yeah, exactly. It's going to push you around the there's rink. No, there's no grinding mechanism inside of fucking Zamboni. <laughs> to be fair, she did have like spikes on the front of that thing. That's true, too. I mean, yes. it, it was there's a very. Uh, a, Fred, a Fred Zamboni, a Freddy Zamboni. <laughs> yeah. The Kruger's only, yes. <laughs> I mean, at worst, you're going to get maybe like some rug burn and a little frostbite. You're yeah. not going to die. No, no, you're not going to get torn to shreds. But aside from that, you know, aside from the comedy on that, then the, then the episode just takes a complete left turn and goes back to Lana's. Uh, and I guess that's really the connecting fiber between the two stories is Lana, right? I mean, I know Mary is a small part of it, but she, you know, she was such a pointless character in the first half of the episode that you're not even thinking about it. Like Mike said, you, you completely forgot about her. So Lana is the glue that's holding these two episodes, the half episodes together, and it's just not working. Um, you know, then we go to the second half with the, uh, the, you know, with the whole plastic. Well, I say plastic surgeon, but obviously he was doing something, you know, he's basically just putting clay on these women and peeling the clay off and suddenly they're attractive. So my question is, what he's doing, you know? Yeah, there is that. Yeah. He was, Oh God, swarmy times 10. It was awesome. Oh my, my, question, my question is, that. go ahead. Oh no, I'm so sorry. I did not mean to interrupt. No, no, no. Go ahead. Good. No, I mean, but like I said, this was very eighties. Like I said, there was just a very distinct way. Everyone was supposed to look. Everyone was, the, how much weight you were supposed to weigh and mm -hmm. they instead of actually taking it and making more of a social look at it they made it stupid yeah they really they definitely had the opportunity to make um you know a, a good poignant piece of social commentary but yeah they just dropped the ball completely um but my question about the procedure is they put the stuff on you and then he peels it off and suddenly you're attractive. But are you not attracted to yourself or is it only to other people? Like I was kind of confused, especially during the final scene of this half. Like I'm cause it seemed like she was hitting the mirror with that candlestick uh, holder, the candlestick holder. She's smashing the mirror or lamp, whatever the fuck it was. Um, 
but the guy is looking at her like she's crazy, not like she suddenly became ugly. So it's almost like he still sees the beautiful girl smashing the mirror. It's, and it's, it's like, why, why didn't she understand that? Why don't, you know, if the guy standing right next to you, isn't freaking out about your looks, then there's obviously something you think somebody with half a brain would have figured it out that, you know, you, you see yourself as you actually are, but everybody else sees the fake you. Cool. That's what you wanted anyway. So I don't seems, know why she freaked out. It seems like like a reverse shallow hell situation. Yes. She, 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 she chooses to see the way that she wants to feel. Yeah. It seems like a real confidence game. Like she looks in the mirror, but she's afraid to look in the mirror because she sees what she, what she was, but she, she goes from this fucking Zoftig, possibly German uh, woman <laughs> to, to this beautiful woman with this wacky plastic surgery scene. If there's yeah. a reason to watch this episode, it's the plastic surgery scene. It's fucking hilarious. I think it goes back to the old adage where, like, even when you make physical modica- modifications mentally, if your mental health is not right about yourself, you're gonna, you're still gonna see yourself as you know the worst po- in the worst possible way. So, I mean, that's why a lot of people say like, you know, before plastic surgery, you should be mentally right with yourself because you're you know if you have low confidence you're gonna see yourself that way no matter what so i think it was more that she was still seeing herself and because she was i think it had to do with her being rejected because he rejected her after we get that reveal so then she automatically goes back to seeing herself as the way oh, she yeah. was oh, yeah. the, the, the her boobs i mean i can't believe they spent <laughs> that kind of time on well, you should go get your money back. That somebody did just a bad job on this, and that's not a guy who just, wants to get laid. No, and he's just railing her with this. And I'm like, oh my god, what the hell? That's the trigger, you know. Your boobs are a little off there, honey. You know. Wow. So. Money back. You should sue. And I can say the actual Joyce Heiser. That's not that's not true at all because those are perfect. Let me tell you right now. <laughs> Would you We've all seen those boobs. <laughs> Would you say so far in, in through the first season, this, these episodes feature a lot of people in bed and a, like a lot of people having sex. <laughs> for as for as network TV as these are, man, a lot of people, a lot of these stories feature people having sex and in bed and and love making. <laughs> get off being a chick, man! Come on, <laughs> oh, I love it so much. I did like and. It- and I don't, I don't know if it was just me, but the, the one thing that I kind of liked about this uh, episode was kind of the theme of gentrification, because they were talking about the Springwood Beautification Project, and then they were also, it, it almost seemed like they were implying that they were trying to make over all attract, unattractive women in the town. Like, they were, they were doing a beautification process with the buildings, but they were also doing it with the people. So I, for whatever that's worth, and maybe I just, you know, I'm overthinking it, but I, I thought that was kind of cool, that whole, because gentrification wasn't even really a thing in the 80s, so they, they would have had another name for it. <laughs> I think you just put more thought into this than the writer did. Oh, you're probably right, or more thought than the episode deserves, anyway. Or you gave more credit, credit you gave more credit to the writer <laughs> yeah exactly you know because i i see an underlying theme so you know if that was his intention awesome if it was just dumb luck that he fell on that well then then and, are, and, you, are you saying an eight-year-old jordan peele wrote this episode <laughs> uh, 
I, I'd like to think that even an eight-year-old Jordan Peele could write better than this. Maybe a five-year-old Jordan Peele. <laughs> okay. But, looking back at this writer's credits too, I mean, he doesn't. He hasn't really done anything of consequence. So it kind of, it kind of, it, it's it, it's probably a good reason why this episode just felt so poorly written, disjointed. It, it felt like there was no like major theme to the episode. It's like first they go from dating to beautification i don't know i don't know what the major point of this episode was but uh and i guess yeah you could make the argument that it's a beauty is skin deep type thing because even in the first episode uh gordy is very superficial he obviously cares about looks more than personality so i i, I guess that's the uh overlying theme if you will but eh, it's just so poorly executed that i couldn't get behind it well let me tell the listeners why this episode is probably the worst episode that we watched so far just, just in continuity's sake, okay? In the middle of the episode, when he finds out that it's not a dating service, it's a it's a meatpacking plant for no... It, they show the sign for no reason. Because he immediately gets hit by a car. Are they cannibal meatpacking plant? It doesn't matter. Because in the second half of this, you get the whole... You know, the the, the girl with, with, the, with, the, with the ugly friend that you see in the, in the first part of the episode. Are, they, are, are these women real? You don't know this, especially the roommate. You don't know if she's real or not. She just happens to show up again and say, you know what? We're the connecting tissue of this episode just because we're these random two characters. And you, you, and uh, for that reason, that this episode just, just doesn't go together like the other ones do, even in a bad way. You know, the other ones do it. They do it. Some of them do it poorly, but at least there there's connective tissue, not just, hey, here's this Zoftig ugly friend of yours that, you know... On the inside, she's really pretty, but not really because we have this fucking cartoon surgery scene in which they literally stick a, uh, a vacuum attachment like you have in your mama's house and her legs oh, yeah. that out, you know. <laughs> and it's all, I'm, I'm laughing my ass off at this scene, but it doesn't go with the first part at all. So, so I, I, I don't, I can't endorse this, this, this type of storytelling if, if this is the way they're going to do this, just connected in something that could have possibly all been a dream, but apparently it's not a dream. These are real women in this real, very real world, or is it the real world? And I think the symbolism of her cr- smashing the mirror at the end is, is and her face and body being all busted up. Maybe the mirror has something to do with it. Again, not clarified. That's the, the theme of this episode. Nothing is really clarified of the connective tissue of what it is besides <laughs> the first part. And which this guy is obviously having some kind of dream fantasy, I guess falling asleep, standing at his car. I don't know. I don't really <laughs> give a shit either. It's just kind of there. But um, yeah. no, it's all missed opportunities. Like I said, at this point in the eighties, and believe me, in, in nineteen eighty-eight, I was sixteen years old. You have no idea how important things like how much you weigh, what your hair looks like, what clothes you're wearing how important that was in my senior class two girls were in rehab for diet pills Mm -hmm. who quit eating and guess what i did too i went from a muscular 145 down to 105 oof yeah i'm I'm not discounting that their plight i mean body image is still a very big issue today you know but it's not as focused as it was then because you had models like Kate Moss that weighed as much as my fucking dog. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's true. true. Oh my God. But it's, it's, it's definitely lightened up 
But in the 80s, it was so, you, you have no idea how hard it was being tall and big boned and, you know, not super skinny in that time. I got called every name in the book until I started wanging people across the head with my field hockey stick. Were you were you a Zofdigs, maybe possibly German woman who who's uh the, the friend of that friend? Huh? Uh, no, I was always <laughs> a, the the tall, smart one that was kind of scary. That was always my that was always my role. It probably said lesbian constantly. You know, this. If she's angry, she must be a lesbian, right, Iris? Are you, I'm, I'm, I'm asking you now, Iris, if you're listening. You know, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean that out of love, babe. I mean that out of love, seriously. Um, but it was uh, one, the, the '80s great. were a fucked up time. Yes, yes, they were definitely more superficial then than we are now. Yeah. Uh, is, is, is it starting? Is this is like a take episode of something that did the second part of this better? There's an early episode of Tales from the Crypt that thinks start Leah Thompson, I think. And when she goes to like a pawn shop or something, and he makes a mold of her face so she'll be oh, beautiful yeah. forever. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, it does. It does it better than this. But then again, this episode's so fucking destroyed. I don't care, man. I'm gonna kick it to Mike though, and say anything else he'd like to say about the episode. And what does he rate it? Um, shoot, I. If you're it, in the last ten minutes, I would have said uh, "Flaming Piss Resurrection," but I think because. To me, it felt like the majority of the episode still covered like the original stuff, including the the awesome quote, uh, awesome, also not awesome Zamboni death. (laughs) (laughs) It's going to bail out this episode to give it the middle of the road. Keep it in the boiler room. (laughs) Okay, Mr. Venom. Oh man, there's th- this this episode just feels like a bunch of disjointed set pieces that they recorded individually and then just tried to throw together and come up with some kind of narrative that can, you know, be the connective glue to the whole thing and it just I, I think they just failed miserably. Um there's very little positives I can take out of this. I mean, there you know, there's a couple of attractive women I guess to look at, but ultimately Nothing scary or tense or, you know, anything remotely deserving of Freddy Krueger's um, appearance. So, yeah, this is absolutely a flaming piss resurrection to me. But, dude, her boobs are fucked up. Right? <laughs> <Come on> <laughs> I'm, oh more, I'm more of an ass man, so I can deal with <laughs> the tickets. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> Suzanne. Uh, I think I've made my feelings known, but I the one thing I really have to echo that... Mr. Venom said is it it is seriously it is a, a bunch of different visionettes that somebody if they'd only had a gopher it might have worked together better like a yes, gopher? Shack. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I'm alright um, but <laughs> I right hate now, this I hate this episode because there was there was a window for some social commentary on the times mm-hmm. and how many, I mean, like I said, even myself, the things that we did to ourselves, you know, I, I dropped 40 pounds. I could barely pick up a pencil after I did that. Oof. And there was a complete window for this, especially in the time frame. Two girls I went to high school with who were tiny. I mean, itty bitty, tiny little things went to clinics because they, re- they they had gotten themselves so convinced if they put out an ounce of fat, they would be the ugliest, 
wickedest witch with warts all over their face if they gained an ounce. And they, like I said, my dog weighs more. <laughs> it was a really horrible time. It was a very superficial time. And it, the, I guess for me, it's it's a personal matter as to the, the things that this episode, they really could have brought some of this to light. And no, they turned it into a really fucking horrible episode. And yes, I'm sorry. It is fucking horrible. <laughs> it is. This is the flamingest dog piss resurrection. <laughs> I hope I don't ever have to watch again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for me, you know, this, this comes from the director of Just One of the Guys, which is a film about, you know, inadvertently about female empowerment, you know, and she, she goes about it the wrong way, you know, because all ballsish and stuff, you know, but uh, here we are. But um, I, I feel your sentiments, Suzanne, but I, I, I understand your feelings, but it has nothing to do with this fucking episode. It's, it's not good at all. If it wasn't so goddamn disjointed, it, it might be a little bit better, but the fact that, you know, he was having a nightmare and these women may possibly not even exist, you know, you, you don't know. They just show up again doing stuff, and all of a sudden, you know, the ugly friend becomes the hot friend, and I'm sure there was could have been some discord there that wasn't addressed, and you know, and that, I'm sure that that happens all too often. I'm sure because you know, paying on the overalls and stuff. That that was for Jamie, by the way. Just uh, doing a not another teen movie reference, you know. I'm, <laughs> I'm uh, I'm at the Flame Pits of Resurrection as well. It's not good. This is the first episode where. It, it it didn't have even an inkling of, of some kind of connection to the first part. It's just except for these are these characters you saw in his dream, and that that's that's all you get. And yeah, funny as hell in parts, just not good, you know. But it was it was funny, sad, not funny, funny. It was funny, kind of re. It, it, it was rude, funny. <laughs> Man. After all that, man, I, I feel I feel dirty. But we're gonna come back and uh, close out the show. <laughs> hey, Paul. What I was thinking is that we need to cut a promo. Yeah, I've been working on some ideas. It's just I don't really know where to go with it exactly. What if I got like a filter where we could just kind of talk normally and we can have kind of a script, but then yes. I can I can like filter it so that one of us will have one kind of voice and then one will have the other. I want to put my request, make me as Freddy Krueger. Can you do that? Maybe instead of the voices, what if we tried to like write a skit, develop a whole thing and we have a backstory and, but well, I don't know. That might be kind of too long. So oh, like screeching cars and explosions and fireworks. And yeah. And, yeah. Well, what about, I like it. Maybe instead of, you know, doing a filter, we could just like reach out to Robert England himself and maybe Ooh. he can, you know, just record a promo for us sometime. Do you think, I, I mean, I, we might have to like raise some money. We can do a Kickstarter and we could just throw it out to like Robert England and, you know, sure, just, sure. just all kinds of actors. And, and I think people will do that. I think. Sure. Why not? Well, you know, I don't know. Maybe we're overthinking this whole thing. How about if we just tell people where to find us? I like that. You can find us at Who Will Survive on iTunes, Stitcher, on the Legion Podcast Network, and on the Raw Live and Unedited Podcasting Network. Also on Facebook and Instagram under the same name. Oh, wait. Can we do it underwater oh, with that, piranhas killing me? That would kind of be brutal. And if that doesn't work, then you can do the regular promo. All right. Well, just get in the water and I'll go get some fish. All right, cool. 
Uh, thanks to Mr. Venom for, for coming on this show and uh, giving us some insight into some pretty lackluster episodes. And uh, <laughs> He has tons and tons of shows that he'll tell us all about right now. Well, yeah, um, I am kind of a horophilia uh, network whore, so um, <laughs> you can see me, or you can hear me, excuse me. Well, some of these podcasts, you can actually see me if you follow the YouTube thread, but for, let's just go over the podcast. Um, I most recently joined the Slice and Dice Dreadcast with uh, Joey and Bill from the Horror Mafia podcast. Uh, they resurrected that show recently and added me on as a host, so you can hear that one um, on Horophilia. And then a couple that I do with our friend Mike Merriman here include No More Room in Hell, which is our kind of overall uh, horror show where we discuss uh, movies, television, video games, whatever the case may be. And then we also have the sister podcast to that uh, podcast, which is No More Room in Hell Presents Fresh Cuts. On that one, we only deal with the newest releases in the horror genre, um, be they in theaters, VOD, or streaming. Uh, most recently, we tackled Jordan Peele's Us, which I personally feel is probably one of our best episodes. So if you guys want to check out mm -hmm. an episode of Fresh Cuts, I strongly suggest our latest episode on Us. Um, and then the other show that I do with Mike is called The Theme Warriors Podcast. Um, and we do that with the aforementioned Iris and Mr. Doug Tilly. Um, I am on Underwater Kaiju from Outer Space. That one is also with Donna Nelly from the Horror Mafia podcast <laughs> and Jerry Herring from Kill the Cast. That's our, of course, Kaiju Japanese Monsters podcast where we discuss all things Godzilla, Gamera, Ultraman, and the like. Um, that one is available on the Legion podcast network. Uh, let's see. Uh, and then... Uh, the horror cast, which unfortunately is on a little bit of a hiatus right now, while we kind of deal with some hosting situations. Um, one of the hosts, unfortunately, recently retired from podcasting, so we're trying to kind of see where the future of the show is going to take us. But the horror cast is the longest standing show that I'm on, it's, and it's where I've got my start. So I, you know, definitely trying to keep that one alive. Uh, we sell, we we celebrated our three-year anniversary recently under the banner of the horror cast before the horror cast it was called killer flicks and uh that that's well before i joined the show so so they have like a four or five year history of uh, horror movie podcasting and uh let's see did i miss any mike uh rad radio the all ladies podcast um obviously our nostalgia <laughs> 80s podcast um that one unfortunately has been on a very long hiatus i don't even know why i still mention it other than the fact that i like being on so many shows, so I just <laughs> spout them out here and there. <laughs> and then I have one more podcast, which is still kind of secretive. Uh, it's a true crime podcast that I'm working on with a friend of mine out here in L.A. Uh, you know, we're in the middle of, like, you know, writing scripts, and, you know, this is going to be, like, a scripted and heavily produced podcast. So, um, fingers crossed, you should hear something about that show before the end of the year and i don't even have a title to share with you because we haven't come up with the name of the podcast yet but yeah that's uh that's where you can find me all over the place <sighs> Mike. yeah wake up <laughs> well i got a hand crap writing all that down <laughs> i actually don't have to say anything because he covered everything i'm on so i'm good to go <laughs> <laughs> fucking guests in their podcasts but uh, yeah yeah you people Seriously? <laughs> Suzanne. <laughs> All right. Um, well, the NFW, we are about to start wrapping up spring break. Our commentary on the ruins should be out soon. 
Also, when we recorded, finally, look for me and Nudie on Bloody Bits doing two really horrible movies, which is always a pleasure. And you can find those at Horrorphilia. And I will let Gary fill you in on the rest. Yay! Cinema Beef Podcast. Kuchik <laughs> Venom Commentaries. On the, on the Legion Podcast Network, of course. Uh, you can find this as well as Cinema Podcast on the very same feed, because I don't want to bother Bo with another feed. So you can find all that good stuff here. So if you're subscribing to this, you're subscribing to Cinema Beef, you get to hear all those shit shows that we love to do but uh hopefully by the time you hear this you would have heard the awesome life after flash special which we had interviews on covered the film the great documentary film as well as the dirt and some other stuff yes it was some good (laughs) sorry i can't i really couldn't help myself there a long long show just me me and suzanne so that that's fine and um at twitter gw twitter sim beef cast uh very next episode of this, I don't know if I'm a guest or not, but Jerry, you're, you're welcome back, brother. Mr. Venom is welcome back, of course. Oh, I, to... Yeah, this was fun. I mean, uh, even though, you know, this might not be the strongest anthology series out there, I, I enjoy talking about, um, you know, gems as much as I enjoy talking about crap. So, yeah, this was fun. And, yeah, I, I definitely look forward to stopping by again. You know, rooting through the first six episodes, though, we 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 have had conversations that um we didn't think that we were gonna have you know decent conversations about them, no matter how bad they were. We always had something to talk about. So there there's there's that there they do they they are conversation starters. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, they're they're just not all that wonderful. They're just they're just kind of there. You <laughs> mm-hmm. know? I just need to find a glutton to do the Hammer House of Horror series with me. We'll All I'm asking. I'll do it. <laughs> oh, Hammer's great. I love Hammer. Oh, there's one of the episodes I've I've probably ended up going back. It's like I want to watch the next episode. I'm like, but I really want to go back and watch this episode again. Does it have a good story? It's got a good story. <laughs> I gotta stop picking on Willis now, but I'm I'm gonna leave it at that. Nice. <laughs> Thanks. Sorry, you know, Willis and Iris for 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 the, the the gluttons for punishment that you guys are. And uh and thanks for listening to Burning for Springwood. And we'll see you guys all again in the boiler room. Yeah.